Good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. We're going to be finishing 1 John today, which is pretty exciting. So have you ever been uh, out of your element, um, maybe when you, you shouldn't be? Maybe you lacked confidence in a certain situation when maybe you should have confidence. We went skiing um, over the break, and uh, yeah, this is Elise, our, our youngest. We went skiing, and, and as we started out, she was out of her rhythm. Um, she wasn't really into it and, and going kind of slow. And the reason was last year I kind of messed up and we went on some really hard runs with deep powder and steep. Um, and she fell and lost her skis a bunch. It was just awful. You know, one of those where I got ahead of her and then she's way up the hill and down and I can't help her and nobody else is on the hill. Just one of those. And so that kind of stuck with her. And we get out there to ski and she's lacking the confidence. And so, you know, after a couple runs, I had to pull her aside and say, hey, you know how to do this. Do what you know, right? Just remember this is fun and just go for it. And so she made a little switch and she did what she knew and, and killed it. She did awesome, hitting jumps and crashing and no big deal and getting back up. Have you ever had that maybe spiritually where you feel kind of out of rhythm, lacking confidence? And by the way, this applies to all of life. I, you know, I think sometimes we go, here's our spiritual life and here's our secular life, the rest. It begins with our relationship with God and, and that permeates everything. But there are certain I'd say habits or rhythms that we should know how to do in our spiritual life. And when those get out of whack, things get a little bit goofy. Maybe you're new to the faith. You said, I don't even know these habits. I, you know, I'm not sure where to start. You guys talk about an abundant life. You talk about abiding. I don't know what any of that means. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Maybe you say, I, I've been a believer a long time, and I used to have some good rhythms. I need some reminder of, of some of these things. Um, or, or maybe... Right? Maybe you're doing good, and this is just going to be some encouragement for you that the rhythms are good. But here's the point. Our rhythms or these habits are based on things we know to be true. So we know it begins with knowledge, right, knowing, and then applying it, acting on it. This is why we do groups the way we do. You know, we have group signups over here today. In groups, we want to study God's word so we know, but we also want to be in relationships where we grow, we think life change best happens in authentic community around the word. You know, that's how we talk about it. Because when life happens, we either need to know something or we need to grow. So there's need to know moments. This happened, I have kids, relationship, whatever it is, job. I don't know how to respond. You get in group, you look at God's word, here's what it says, how to do it. Or life happens, you're like, I know, but, but I don't know how to apply it or maybe I don't want to. When we're in relationships, those are need-to-grow moments, and we can come together and do that. And that's what we're looking at today is these rhythms based on things that we know to be true. So turn in 1 John, please. 1 John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible or you just use the one that's there, grab the one in front of you. It's page 1,125. Or, of course, you can look in your table of contents. And we are going to be finishing 1 John. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for your grace uh, th that uh, our spiritual life isn't based on, on doing apart from you, God, that you don't, you don't save us based on our works. You don't love us based on how good we are, uh, but you love us because you love us. You've chosen to be um, our father. You've chosen us to be part of your family, and we love you, God. We want to grow. Uh, we want to, to learn the things we need to know. We want to follow you. We want to experience the abundant life, Jesus, you talked about um, and so, God, I pray that you would stir our hearts towards you today, whatever that would be. Um, if it's just worship, uh, maybe just encouragement, or maybe there are some things that we need to know or adjust in our lives, I ask that you would uh, do that for us. We love you. In your name, amen. 
So because we're finishing 1 John, I want to go back to the beginning real quick. So it's not all that long of a book. Turn over one page, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And this is how John began his letter. He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So I wanted to start there, because he writes that, he says, here's why I'm writing to you. We're writing this so our joy may be complete, right? Our joy, your joy, and where does that joy come from? We see it's in this fellowship with the Father and articulating clearly who Jesus is. That which we have seen and touched, it's all based on Jesus, right? Who he is, the Son of God who came in flesh. And when we know him, and he's saying, this is true. I touched him. I was there. I was with him. Last week, we talked about John, who's writing this. He was the only one, probably, of, of Jesus' disciples that saw his baptism. He was the only one, actually probably his brother was there. He was the only one we know for sure at his crucifixion that watched Jesus die. So, so John is saying, I saw this. This is true. And I'm going to tell you about it so that our joy may be complete. I, I love that picture, right, of the family of God. My joy is made complete in you knowing and doing what God wants for you. Your joy is made complete, right, in you knowing and us together. So that's how he began. Now, how is he going to finish? Turn to 1 John 5. Because he's going to tell us again the reason he's writing, a reason, in 1 John 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So right, he, he writes at the beginning that you may have joy and fellowship with God and with us. And I write these things so that you may believe, to you who believe, that you may be confident that you have eternal life. That's one of his reasons for writing. To believers, to give them confidence. We should have confidence. What is it? Confidence that we are part of the family of God. Confidence that we, we have eternal life. So this is in your notes if you're a note taker. John is writing so that we can have confidence and assurance in our spiritual life, which results in joyful fellowship. You know, as you read scripture, pay attention to things that are repeated. In this section, this final section, the word no is repeated seven times. It's, and it's interesting, the way he patterns it, so there's something about that word. He wants us to know. That's how he's finishing. He's wrapping up his book. Kind of a reminder. Know these things. And we're going to also add a little piece as we go through. Because you know this, here's how you apply that. Because you know it, here's what you do. Here's the pattern. Here's the rhythm. Here's the habit. Because you know this, that leads to this abundant life, right? That, that leads to this flourishing. That leads to health. And so these rhythms are based on what we know. And here's the first thing we know as we look at this. We know we have eternal life because we have a firm conviction that Jesus is the Son of God. If you've been here week after week, you're getting sick of hearing that Jesus is the Son of God. But that's because John keeps repeating it. Understand this. Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully divine, fully man. He came in flesh. He really died. He really rose. And he's just hammering that drum over and over and over because that knowledge is the basis of everything else. Because we know that and we believe, we have confidence we have eternal life. 
meaning starting now and going forever. That is great confidence, right? Think about being in a family. I, I hope every kid here in the family, that's their home base, right? I'm confident I'm accepted there. I'm confident I can go back. I share a name. This is my home. This is where I am, right? It, there's not going to come a day where, you know, you forget to lock the door and you're kicked out of the family. Whatever it is, right? You're there. That's the confidence we should have as sons and daughters of God, as part of the family. We're in, right? Done. You're in because of what Jesus did. You're not going to lose it. Nothing you can do to make God love you less. Nothing you can do to make God love you more. You're in. That should give you great confidence. And then there's other things that we know, right? We know, again, we have eternal life based on who Jesus is. But then we're going to move on to other things that we know. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So here's what we know. We know God hears our prayers that are in line with his will. So here's what we do. So we spend consistent time in God's word and prayer. We know he hears us. That's kind of cool. When you pray, he's saying, God hears your prayers. And we've talked about prayer, right? Twice a year, we have a prayer service. And we go through kind of a pattern of prayer where we begin with, with worship, with adoration, right? Uh, then we move on to confession, opening up our hearts, uh, thanksgiving. And then finally, our request. And that's really what he's talking about is our request. When you bring your request to God in line with his will, it says, he hears you. In fact, half of these verses that we're concluding about things we know are on prayer, so let's get real. How often do you pray? Is prayer a habit of your life? Is it a rhythm? When you pray, is it your laundry list? Do you hope God's your genie in a bottle? Or is your prayer consistent and in a time where you're trying to connect with him? Again, we're praying according to his will, right? Prayer doesn't bend God to our will. Prayer unites us with his. That's the cool thing about a relationship with God is that he changes us. It's called sanctification. We become more and more like Jesus, meaning we, we love the things God loves. We hate the things God hates. We want the things God wants as we grow in him. And then when we ask, we're asking for what he wants. What we're talking about here is abiding, right? If you look on the wall here, this is our mission, connecting people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship in Jesus. The Bible talks quite a bit about abiding, and that's what he's talking about here, close walking with Jesus, where we get to know him and we want, again, what he wants. That's the rhythm, prayer. And there's, there's something kind of included in here that's not articulated. How are we going to know God's will? Well, there's, there needs to be a rhythm of, of time in God's word, right? And coming, that's what we do here on Sundays. We open up God's word to see what does he have to say to us? If we don't know his word, how can we know his will and how can we pray in line with his will? If it's according to his will, it says here, he hears us. He hears our prayers. Uh, look at verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. Not only do we know he hears, but we receive. Uh, John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's interesting, right? If we're abiding, he says, I want you to ask. 
ask and I'm going to give you the things you ask for. So we know that he gives us what we ask for according to his will. That's what we know. So we trust him. There's that, okay, we know. And so what do we do? We trust him. We give him our requests. We already said prayer is a rhythm. And then trusting him with the requests we give him is another rhythm, right? That's another habit. That's something else that we do. We trust him. Because, let's be honest, right? The, The title of this series is Let's Get Real. We don't always know God's will. Right? When we get to know him, we can know his, his general will. There's certain things that we know. He desires none to be lost, but all to come to repentance. Right? There's certain things that we, we know, but there's certain things we, we don't always know. Right? Should I go to this school or that school? Well, that's God's specific will, and we can't always know exactly. And so here we're talking about praying, asking for the things that we know. We should ask for those things also. But in those, we say, but not my will, but yours be done. Right? That's something we, we trust him with. Now, You may be going, you talk about his general will. I don't even know a lot of that. Well, that comes from getting to know him. You know, again, I think of of parents. Now, God is a perfect father who loves us. None of us are perfect parents. But our our role as parents is to raise our kids and and lead them his way. And we want our kids to ask for things. (laughs) When I first became a a parent, when we got married, uh, Callie had a four-year-old. And so I read all the parenting books so that I knew what to do so that I would do it perfectly. And um, I did. So, but not even close. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was anything they ask for, the answer is yes. Unless there's a really good reason to say no. I thought that was really good, right? So what are, if they're asking for something, the answer is yes. But a lot of times there's a good reason to say no. But as the kids grow... Ideally, their requests come more in line with, with what we know is best for them. Uh, we, we had, I think, a, a good example of this when we had some foster kids in the home for a while. They didn't know the rhythms. You know, one of the things I think they asked, can we put a TV in our room? What? No. <laughs> That's not something we do as a family, right? We're not going to have TVs or computers. You know, those things we want public space. We do those things together. Our kids have known they're not going to ask for that, right? That's not something we do. And then when they do ask for certain things, Hopefully, they trust us when we say no. And they, again, they kind of grow with that. That's similar to what we're doing with God, right? We, we request, we ask, and then we trust him with it, right? We don't keep bringing it back. We don't get mad at him for not getting what we want, but we trust him. I love this quote. It says, we are not beggars. We are children coming to a wealthy father who loves to give his children what they need. Do you know that about God? Again, this is one of those things we need to know. We know God is a good father who loves us and wants to give us everything we need. That's awesome. That should fill us with joy, confidence, peace in him. Look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there's a sin that does not lead to death. These are weird verses. <laughs> right, right. I see some faces. What? <laughs> there's some things in this. Here's the first thing that we need to, to kind of understand. We're talking about relationships with one another, brothers and sisters, right? We come together and we know one another. 
right? We see in the book of James where a, a weak, somebody sick, right? And, and it's probably somebody spiritually sick or physically sick because of sin. They are to go to the spiritually strong, the elders of the church, and ask them to pray. And the faith of the one praying will help heal the one who is sick. And so when we're in relationships with one another, right, we can pray for one another. The spiritually strong can pray for us when we're spiritually weak for healing. But here he's saying there's some things you shouldn't pray for, which is kind of strange. But here's the first rhythm I think we need to grasp. It's not said, but it's something we should get. It's this. We know that we are children of God, so we consistently gather with God's people where we, are truly, where we truly know others and are known. So right here, if you see a brother dealing with sin that doesn't lead to death, pray. how would you know that unless you're in relationships? So again, here's a pattern. Here's a rhythm that's kind of assumed. Again, this is why we do groups. This is why we're supposed to be, do you realize you're supposed to be known? You realize there's other people who want to know you? You realize you should know others? Years ago, I remember talking to somebody after church, like, I don't really need to get in relationships with people. I don't need them. Like, well, you might not, but maybe they need you, (laughs) right? I mean, that's a different way to look at it. Maybe I have something to offer to somebody else. And so we're in these relationships. Our faith is personal, but it's not private. Right, a lot of, oh, my faith is my, it's private thing, I don't share it. No, it is very personal, but we're supposed to share it. And so when we're in these relationships, right, the theme of this book, one of the great themes is love one another. So we're in these relationships, we're loving one another, we see sin, we address sin, right? If I see a brother or sister in sin, it is a loving thing for me to graciously and gently point it out, pray for them, and help bring them along. That's what he's saying here. You see somebody, a sin that doesn't lead to death, come alongside them. Right? Help them repent, see it, move on. Here's a great example. Um, when I do weddings, marriages, in our first gathering together, our first counseling session, I, we require premarital counseling. My first one is, how are you doing physically? Right? right? Sexual purity, we talk about that. Um, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's, mm, do we have to talk about that? I'm like, Yeah, we do, because if I'm doing your wedding, right, we want some purity leading up to the wedding day. And there's been those times where it's like, well, we're living together. I'm like, all right, let's talk about that. Either you move out <laughs> and, and we continue to move there, or if you really can't do it, just go get married. And then we'll go through this process and get to the ceremony. Because scripture says, if you're going to burn with passion, just go get married. And I've had two that went, all right. And they just went to the courthouse, got married. Fine, right? They're like, we're going to be honest. We can't. We can't keep our hands off each other and for six months. Like, all right, so they went and did that. Then we finished the counseling, did the ceremony. Nobody else knew. Um, it was great, right? But, but that was my, my loving role is to point, right, to talk about, let's talk about this. That's what we do in relation, graciously, right? Not beating them over the head with it, but we come alongside. But what about this sin that doesn't lead to death and the sin that leads to death? There's a bunch of uh, traditional explanations of this. Mortal sins, maybe you've heard of that, right? Or the seven deadly sins comes from kind of the the Catholic interpretation of this. There's seven sins that if you commit them, you're going to hell. Guess what? It's not that, right? It's not that. There are no sins that if you commit, you are unforgivable. No such thing as an unforgivable sin for, for a believer, right? It's not that. Or another interpretation is This is a sin that a believer is committing. He's writing to believers. So here's a sin that a believer is committing that's going to lead to death. You realize there are some times where God will take the life of a believer? 
Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe you remember that story in Acts. The church was just starting out. Um, there were, were people selling their, their property, possessions, bringing them, giving them to the church so that they could take care of those in need. Because uh, the early church, right, they were mostly Jews. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're probably going to lose your jobs, whatever. There's a lot of need within the church. So those with abundance were selling stuff and giving it. Ananias and Sapphira come along. They're like, well, that, those people are held in high esteem. Let's do that too. Let's sell this piece of property. Let's take the money. Let's give it to them and say it's all of it. <laughs> but it's not all of it, right? They were lying for their own reasons, but it looked like they were real believers. So they do this, right? And they fall over dead. God takes their life. There is a sin that leads to death. Paul elsewhere talks about people taking communion, the Lord's Supper, in an unworthy manner, and some are sick because of it, and some have died because of it. Again, these are believers probably living in open sin, in rebellion to God, but communing like they're one of God's people, right? Open sin, I'm not going to repent of it, I don't care, I'm going to do whatever I want, but I'm still part of the church, I'm taking, me and God are good, and God said, we are not good, right? You need to repent, if you're not going to, I'm going to take your life. Now, here's the hard part for us. Can we nail those things down right now? Not, I mean, that's really difficult. I'll say, I don't think that's what he's talking about either. The context of the book gives us a better idea of what this means, a sin that leads to death. In the book, he is addressing a group, or he's talking about a group. This group had been part of the church. They had left the church, right? They had rejected the basic teachings of who Jesus is, right? They had rejected probably his divinity, right, saying he was just a man, or maybe they were rejecting his manhood, right, saying he was fully God, but he's not fully man. But these people had, had moved on, right, and then they were teaching wrong things. They didn't really belong to God. And through this, John is trying to address people, hey, they went out from us. It proves they're not real believers. That's probably what he's talking about here. So he's talking about those who had been part of the church. They looked like brothers and sisters, but they're rejecting Jesus, right? They're living in open rebellion, rejecting that Jesus is the son of God, rejecting the basic doctrines. And he's saying, do not pray for their forgiveness for that because it's not going to work. They need to repent. Should we pray for their repentance? Absolutely. We need to pray for their salvation. But I've seen this in my life as a Christian, people who have a, a family member normally who's living in open rebellion, right? They looked like a Christian before they were baptized as a kid. And they're like, I'm confident they're saved. And I'm just praying for them like normal. No, our prayers need to change a little bit, right? We need to be honest that somebody who is rejecting who Jesus is probably is not a follower of Jesus. Well, they're, they're not, and that's okay. That is the sin that leads to death, rejecting Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah. That is the only sin that leads to death, right, in this context, because death typically is eternal death, hell, separation from God forever. So he's saying, don't pray for that. Don't pray that people will, will find heaven apart from Jesus, Pray for their repentance and share the gospel with them, right? And bring them that way. Difficult verses. Let's move on. 18. This gives us some instruction on these previous verses. 18. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he, he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Here's what we know. We know that a true believer does not continue in habitual sin in open rebellion to Jesus Christ. That's what we know. Does a Christian struggle with sin? Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to the street fight of sanctification, where we come to know Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit, we want what's right, and we're fighting with our flesh. It's a battle that will move, go on until the day that we die. 
But a Christian is set free from enslavement to sin. Before you know Christ, you are chained. You're chained to sin, right? When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, he broke that, that chain for the believer. So when you surrender to Jesus, those chains are broken. Again, it, we talk about our new life, our old life, our new self, our old self. We can fall into those old habits and patterns, but not forever, right? The pattern of a believer is obedience. Again, not perfection, but not a life in rebellion to God. And so because we know that, that helps us understand those verses before, right, of who a brother or a sister is and how to pray for them. Now, he's been talking about confidence right here, verse 18, right? We know everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. That's one of those things that is a boost to to what he said in, in verse 13. I want you to have confidence that you have eternal life. One of the confidence is The chains are broken. We we don't live in habitual sin anymore. And there's other things that give us confidence. The first one is believing rightly about Jesus. The second one we saw in 1 John is we don't fear punishment. You see, this this confidence that we get from knowing these things and also that we have a love for fellow believers. These things, again, give us confidence of eternal life that help us move forward. We're, We're in the family no matter what. We're part. That's what we know. Now, Here's something else that we know. Verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we are children of God, and the world will oppose us. Do you know that? Do you know that you're a child of God, you're part of the family, and do you know the world will come against you? If we know that, we are not surprised. That's how we apply that. This is another great habit or pattern that I think many believers lose or, or somehow we forget. Guess what? The world's not going to like you. You stand on biblical truth. You follow Jesus. Society is going to be against you. They're going to pass laws against us. Oh, we're so surprised. No, we're not. The world is going to be against us. If we know that, then we're ready. Right? Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about you know, putting on the armor, be ready. We are ready because we know this is going to be the case. Then, when people do come against us, we're not shattered by it, right? We're not that, we're confident. That's okay. I know I'm in the family of God. I know I have a place where there are some people who believe like I believe that are true, right? I have a place to go. I have a family. I can be confident when they reject me, and then I'm free to love and serve them without needing anything from them. This is a a great habit and pattern. Again, if you know this, then the The headlines that you read, they're not going to surprise you. They're not going to make you angry. They're not going to make you scared. It's just the way it is. That's the world that we live in. And then verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That one verse we see no two times. What is it that we know? We know the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ come in flesh. The truth is in him. Elsewhere, we've seen the giving of the Holy Spirit who is called truth. Here's what this means. You know what's true because the Holy Spirit will use God's word and help you understand. Right? We're going to struggle through that. But if something seems off to you, it probably is. If you hear something, you're like, oh, I'm not sure that's true. It might not be. 
Because the Holy Spirit in you is doing a work of helping you understand. Again, this is why we want to do groups. We want to do life together. Because sometimes we're going to need to ask one another. Hey, I, I think this is not, I'm not sure I'm wrestling with this. I have these feelings. What does God's word say? And together we can say, no, this is what is true. We can understand. And hopefully from this, it helps you trust God's word and the Holy Spirit to apply God's word with his people. Again, not you on an island reading the Bible. Oh, I know everything. But us together, you find when people get together, we get a better understanding of what God's word says because the Holy Spirit is moving in all of us. And so we know and fellowship with God who is truth. So we believe what he says. My goodness, this will change your life. If you are one of those that every time you read the Bible or you come to church or you get together, you just doubt everything that's said, that's going to be tough, right? There's not going to be a lot of confidence, right? It's going to be like skiing, doing the snowplow all the time. I don't know. No, we learn and we quickly believe what God says and then we can trust him with it. And he ends with one warning. It seems out of place and it's the last word he says. It's interesting. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. That's how he finishes the whole book. All this stuff about life, obedience, loving one another, understanding that Jesus is the one and only son of God, the truth. And by the way, keep yourself from idols. What's an idol? Well, in those days, it was a lot of times a real idol, right? Something you would worship. Um, there were many gods. In fact, in that day and age, the worst thing was claiming there was only one, right? The Romans had many gods. All cultures, except for the Jews, really, had many gods. And so it was, let's on the street, let's talk, no big deal. Tell me about your God. Paul had those situations. Tell me about your God. Maybe we'll work him into our pantheon, you know? Um, maybe you remember this, the interaction on Mars Hill, where Paul is addressing these people. They're like, hey, you're talking about some gods we're not aware of. Let's talk about that. He's like, hey, you see this statue over here, this, this whatever it is, an idol to an unknown god? Let me tell you about that god. Oh, he was so smart. That god is actually the only one. The one you don't know about, all these other ones, they're not gods. That's why they wanted to kill him. Because he's like, all the ones you believe in, nope, there's only one. So here, that's what he's saying. Keep yourself from anything else. Jesus is the only one. There's no other way to salvation. But also in, in our day and age, there's a lot of other idols. There's other things that grab us, right? Materialism, uh, pleasure. I mean, we can go down the list of these things that we, we kind of worship in our lifestyle, right? So here's this final note. Because of what we know, we keep ourselves from trusting, obeying, revering, and following anyone or anything other than God himself and his son Jesus. Jesus is the only one. We don't listen to scripture, Jesus, and Oprah, right? And whatever's on AOL News, if anybody reads that anymore. It's Jesus alone. We interpret truth through Jesus alone. He's our only one. Now, we told you, Paul told you at the beginning, we're going to be trying to do these, these next steps. God has something for you. And here's, here's what our intention is with that scanner thingy, majigima, Bob. Can you put that back up, by the way? Is that hard to do, Jared? Um, here's why we want to do that. So that we can experience this together. So let me encourage you, actually, click it. Pull out your phone, click it, click it, and look at that. Or if you, grab this, because if you mark on here, here's what God said to me. Guess what? That encourages me. So I'm asking, I'm asking a favor. <laughs> do this for me, because also our prayer team can pray. When you do that and you mark, here's what I think God said to me today. 
you are asking for maybe a little bit of accountability. You're telling somebody, right, us, or the leadership is going to read this, the prayer team will see it. That's the only people that will see it. But they're going to be praying for you in your next steps. And so in the, in the top right here, what are some of these next steps? Maybe it's one, schedule a time daily to meet with God in scripture and prayer. If you don't know his will, you don't have a pattern of prayer, based on these verses, that's your first step. I need to go to prayer. I need to spend time in God's word. Number two, maybe you're not part of a group. Join a group. We can sign up over here today. Mark that on there, right? I need to get in community where I'm known, right? And I know others where people can help me with my sin or questions or maybe where God wants to use you in the life of others to make a difference. Or here's a third one that's on this list. Identify idols in your life or sin that is preventing further growth. Confess it and repent. You know, just mark that, and then maybe you need to find somebody. And after this, I'm going to be in the back. Maybe you need to just confess something. Receive some prayer. That's okay. That's why we're here together. Or you can go down the list. There's all these other things maybe that God might be saying to you, right? You see, oh, I need to be part of a community. Today we have discovery, right? The first day of it, if you haven't done discovery, maybe that's your next step. I'm going to attend discovery. I'm going to go today, even though um, I not planned on or whatever Paul was saying. Um, Come anyway, there's food and there's space, so that you can find a place. Maybe this is a place God wants you to dig in and connect. Maybe it's somewhere else, and we can help you find that. But what are the next steps based on what we learned today? Maybe you need to grow in knowledge. Maybe you need to just apply it. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, things are pretty good, and you're encouraged by that. That's great. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I thank you for, I guess I would say, the positive nature of, of your word. Um, most of the writing really is an encouragement. It's a positive draw. Jesus, your invitation uh, was positive. You, you weren't one that walked up and down with a sign, you know, turn or burn. Uh, you really did invite. The, the people you were most, I guess, uh, aggressive against was the religious fakers, uh, the religious leaders, those leading others astray. Um, but God, your invitation is so beautiful. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Some of that's us, right? Uh, come to me to find life, and I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I thank you, Jesus, we can trust you. God, I pray for everyone in this room right now that you would give us the confidence that we're in your family, the confidence because we believe, Jesus, you're the Son of God, you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, you are our Lord, you are our Savior. We believe that. Now, God, I do pray that if there's a next step you have for us, we would take it. Maybe it's to seek knowledge in something, maybe it's just to apply it. But God, we love you, we trust you, we thank you so much for this community, not of perfect people, but of messed up people that are, are willing to do life together. In your name.